A few months ago, um, my son Caleb was selling his pickup. He bought this 1990, is that, was it a 90? 1990 Toyota pickup, which apparently is a collector's item. Um, they're, they're very desirable and wanted. And he was selling it, and he had it on Facebook, he had it on Craigslist and all this stuff, and was getting a lot of interest in it, a lot of people interested in this particular pickup and asking him questions about it and stuff. And uh, after a while, it took quite a while before somebody actually said, hey, I want to come and look at it. And they, they chose to come look at it in the dark, which was funny. You know, it's like after the sun had gone down. And as this guy's coming over, Caleb says, hey, Dad, would you just kind of come out with me and, um, you know, meet this guy and just be, kind of be there for the conversation and make sure I don't do something stupid, was basically what he, what he was asking for. And I said, sure, I can be there and um, just kind of be the intimidating dad figure in the back and insert myself in the conversation if I need to at some point. Well, the guy shows up and... Um, we go out there and we meet him and it's this kid and he's, when I say kid, he's probably in his mid to early 20s, okay? Young guy, he's there with his girlfriend and this is probably one of the mouthiest young men I've ever met. And when I say mouth, and I hope he's not in the room, I don't think he is. Um, never met him before, never seen him since, but just a talker, just loved to talk and um, it just only took a few minutes to, to I don't know, a, a few minutes to kind of figure out that most of his talk wasn't, you know, was just talk. And uh, he's talking about this truck and telling Caleb how much it's really worth and all this stuff. And just kind of, he's kind of, you, you tell he's working these angles. And it's almost like the worst picture of a car salesman that you can get, only reverse. Like he was the one buying the car. So it was, it was kind of goofy. And about five minutes into the conversation, Caleb and I look at each other. and It's almost like we have this understanding at, at the same moment. Like no matter what this guy offers, we're not selling him the pickup. Um, it's just one of those like, there's no way we're getting in a deal with this guy. I mean, one of the things he said, because Caleb had put a new engine in his pickup with the help of Eric Rice, and it was running well. It was a good rebuilt engine. And the guy said, so if it breaks down, you're going to come help me fix it, right? And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's, it's sold as is. You take it, you get what you buy, you know? And it's, so it's that kind of thing where we're just like, okay, this is a shady deal, you know? It's like a shady character. So, uh, and it was probably about 20 minutes. And finally, the guy's like, okay, we're gonna leave. And so they, they get in the car and leave and we're walking inside and I hear this loud crunch, like a metallic crunch. And I knew exactly what it was. And um, what we have in our driveway is a wellhead. It sticks up about this far and it's right in the middle of our driveway. So what I've done to protect people from that wellhead is I bought about a 75 gallon stock tank from Wilco, cut a hole in the bottom of it and put it over the wellhead. And it's kind of decorative, it's supposed to be a planter but we haven't planted anything in it. And the whole idea is like, don't run into this, you know, don't drive here. Well, the, the guy, this kid backs into it, backs into this stock tank and just munches the corner of it. And I go out there and I'm like, oh great. <laughs> It's one of these things. And, and he gets out and he's, you know, swearing up a storm. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know those things are super expensive. I'm going to, I swear to God, I'm going to replace it for you. And, I, and I'm like, no, 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 you don't. He, don't, don't tell me not to worry about it. I, I know those things are super expensive. What are they like? $80, $100? I'm like, it's probably worth 80 bucks. Why don't you give me $40 for it and we'll call it good? Because yeah, it wasn't destroyed. It's just kind of banged up on the side. He says, okay, okay, that's fine, $40. And he's, he's talking to his girlfriend. Do you have any money? No. Do you have any money? No, they don't have any money. I was like, okay, how about Venmo? You want to just Venmo me some money? And if you don't know what Venmo is, it's, this, uh, it's like a social, 
what is it? Social media pay each other money app. It's weird. Anyway, so you can transfer money to each, each other really easily. So I give him my Venmo and I say, okay, just Venmo it to me at some point, whatever. He's like, dude, I swear to God, I'm going to get you that money. I swear to God. I'm like, and I'm, I'm thinking like, oh Lord, <laughs> have mercy on this kid, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. And, uh, and then he goes away and a day goes by and I don't have any money in my Venmo account. Another day goes by, no money. And I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, do I text this guy and start giving him grief about it and hold him accountable to this or do I just forget about it? And I just chose to, okay, I'm not gonna deal with this kid anymore. I'm not, I don't want anything to do with it. So the reason I tell that story is because um, this, this was a young man who was not really careful with his words. In fact, I could guess from the interaction that I had with him that his words had probably gotten him in a little bit of trouble in his life. And here he was telling me, he didn't know I was a pastor, but telling me a pastor that he swore to God that he was gonna pay me some money, which he never did. And maybe he will one day, maybe he'll come back around. We do that with our words though. Don't we do that with our words? Sometimes we talk a bigger game than we can actually play. Sometimes our mouth, what is it, mouth writes checks that our body can't pay, <laughs> or those kind of things. We, we appeal to God's name sometimes. Right? I swear on a stack of holy Bibles that I'm telling the truth, or that I'll, that I'll follow through with this thing. Or we, 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 we appeal to something sacred, like our grandmother's grave, you know, to undergird our word of our promises. And sometimes, sometimes we do that without ever actually intending to follow through. Now, I don't know if this guy intended to pay me or not. I have no idea. He might have been high, for all I, for all I know, and he didn't the next morning remember any of it. But what we do is we don't take seriously the weight or the seriousness of our words. And the same kind of thing was taking place in Jesus' day as, as we've read or we've heard in the passage that Jonas uh, read for us out of Matthew chapter five. And so what I wanna do is take a look at really the, the context in which Jesus was speaking these words. And it's specifically an Old Testament context of vows and oaths. So it's important really to, to understand the difference, first of all, in ancient Israel be, between an oath and a vow. So this is from Numbers chapter 30, verse two. This is what Moses said in Numbers. He wrote this. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Now, here's a definition of a vow. A vow is a promise made to God that one would perform a certain action or a certain deed. So if you made a vow, you're actually promising God something. I will do this, God. I'm making this vow to pay something or to do this certain thing. A vow today could be a bride and a groom standing at the front of a church, or, or now we do it barefoot in the park, wherever it happens to be. A, a, a bride and a groom making vows, exchanging vows with one another, saying, I will do this thing before God and these people as my witness. I will follow through. I will be faithful to the covenant I'm making with you. A vow might sound like a soldier in a foxhole praying, God, if you get me through this alive, I will give my life to you or whatever it may be, fill in the blank. So a vow is a promise to God. Now, 
The Old Testament, interestingly enough, is full of vows, and most of them, if you look at them, don't end up real well. So you might remember the story of Jephthah from Judges chapter 11. Jephthah was a judge who made, or he was one of the judges and he was a a general really and he made a vow that if God would give him victory in battle, he would then sacrifice to God, get this, he told God, if you give me victory, then when I get home, I will sacrifice as a burnt offering to you the first thing that comes out of my door to greet me. I mean, just think through that for a second. Okay, Jephthah, what in the world were you thinking? I'm not sure what he was expecting to happen when he got home, but he was victorious. Maybe he was expecting not to win at all, I don't know. He was victorious, he came home, and the first person to walk out of his door when he got home to greet him was his virgin daughter. So in faithfulness to his vows, the story goes, Jephthah offered her as a burnt offering to God. Now, this does not reflect the heart of God. In fact, God had had very clearly told Israel, you shall not offer your children as burnt sacrifices to me or to any other God. But the story, what it does is it serves as a warning to us that when you take two things, it's like a chemical reaction. When you take the serious nature of vows, the serious and deep nature of the words of vows, and you combine them with the foolish sinfulness of the human heart, you're at risk of creating something toxic or explosive. When you mix those two things together, this story is a warning. King Saul, you remember King Saul? He was great. Right? No, he wasn't. But he committed a similar folly in 1 Samuel chapter 14, again in the midst of battle, and he rashly made a vow. He made a vow that none of his soldiers, in the midst of battle against the Philistines, he, he made a vow that none of his soldiers, on pain of death, would eat anything until the end of the day and the sun had gone down and he had taken vengeance on all of his enemies in battle. Now, his son Jonathan didn't hear the vow that he had made and he's walking through the forest during this battle and he, and he finds some wild honey and he takes some of the honey and he eats it. Can we please close those doors back there? I think that would be really helpful and not distracting, being distracting, thank you. Um, so he takes some, takes some of the honey and the honey like revives him and gives him the energy he needs to continue. Well, the rest of the army is famished. They're starving. And so it gets to the end of the day and they, they come upon the spoils and they start killing these animals and just eating them raw, which is totally against the law of God. And, and Saul finds out a little bit later that Jonathan had broken his vow and because of that, there was a curse on Jonathan's head and he had to die. And if it had not been for the army interceding for Jonathan, he would have ended up dead. Again, what we have in this story is a fool making a foolish vow and those two things together are a dangerous thing. So we have this really great picture of vows in the Old Testament, right? Not, not real great, a lot of foolish things and rash things happening. And in this regard, uh, the Proverbs actually have something to say. Proverbs 20, 25, it is a snare to say rashly, it is holy, and to reflect only after making vows. In other words, be careful with your words. 
Be careful the things that you commit or you promise yourself to. Deuteronomy chapter 23 says this, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You should be careful to do what is past your lips for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Now consider these words from Ecclesiastes. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. And the, the clear picture in the Old Testament is that vows are always voluntary. They're, they're, ne, they're never anything that people were forced into. They're always voluntary. There's never a requirement to take a vow. But if vows are taken, if they are made, then they are serious. Then they are binding and they will cost you something. And so if you enter into a vow, a covenant of marriage perhaps, and you exchange vows with a, uh, with a woman or a man, then you will tie yourself and bind yourself to that relationship, and it's costly. But because human nature is often very feeble, when we're actually confronted with the actual cost, when we have time to think about it, we'll renege, Right? Oftentimes we're just kind of, you know, I think I could probably slide out of that and not have to worry about it. The next morning I wake up, I'm not going to Venmo this guy any money. Right? So, so God says, pay it. If you've made a vow, make sure you do it quick. Get it done with. Pay it before you back out and suffer the consequences. Now, what I want to be, I've spent all that time on vows now, and I want to be clear here that I don't think Jesus is actually talking about vows in Matthew 5. Okay, so why do we spend all that time? Well, the clarity is because I think sometimes we get mixed up and we think that that's what he's talking about. And so I want to point this out for two reasons this morning. First of all, to give just a picture of the serious nature of our words. Okay, it's important that we count the cost of our words. That what we say actually matters. And in God's eyes, our vows actually mean something and he will hold us to them. And secondly, I bring them up because there have actually been many in the history of Christianity, in the history of the church, who've taken Jesus' words here and applied them to vows and say, okay, if, if, if Jesus is forbidding vows, then I can never take any kind of vows. And so there are those who wouldn't, who wouldn't take any marriage vows or they would never go into court of law and, and, and swear on a holy Bible to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. They would never, uh, if you will, they would never enter into any legal or financial vows, but Jesus here isn't talking about those. He's not forbidding them, but on the other hand, he's also not requiring them. Okay, so just to get that out of the way and also to really clarify what the nature of what Jesus is talking about here. So Jesus is talking really about oaths because oaths are closely related to vows. Here's what oaths are. Oaths are different from vows in that they are an appeal to God. They're not a promise to God. They're an appeal to God or anything considered sacred. Okay, so it could be a stack of holy Bibles. It could be your grandmother's grave. Whatever you think is the most holy thing that you're going to swear or make a promise on 
It's an appeal to whatever that thing is in order to give credence or believability to your own truthfulness. Does that make sense? I swear I'm not lying. I swear I'm gonna pay you that money. I promise on my grandmother's grave that the check is in the mail. Cross my heart and hope to die. Right, you ever do that one, kids? Now, even in the Old Testament, God warns against taking these kind of oaths as well, especially when the purpose of taking the oath or the purpose of saying these words is to deceive or to swindle somebody. So here's what he says in Leviticus 19. You shall not swear by my name, this is God speaking, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. Don't profane my name. You see, a lie is bad enough, but when you connect God's name to a lie, well, that's just like pure evil. Now, oaths like this were also probably the likely target of the third commandment. Anybody know the third commandment? Thou shalt not, that's probably how it starts, right? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay, this was, this was not talking about profanity. It wasn't talking about um, cussing and like saying the Lord's name that way. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord your God, uh, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain, Exodus 20 verse seven. To take the Lord's name in vain is to appeal to God's name and to God's character to undergird a lie. And when we do that, we dishonor God's name and character. Oaths are dangerous because they make the reputation of God's character dependent upon the weakness of human character, which seems really backwards, right? God's name and his honor shouldn't rely on mine. So that's kind of the background that we have uh, in the Old Testament. And by Jesus's day, many Jewish teachers had actually worked out a really elaborate system for making oaths. And Jesus addresses this many chapters later in the the 23rd chapter of Matthew. And here's what he says. I'm gonna quote it at length because it helps us understand what he's saying here in Matthew 5. He says, woe to you. He's talking to the, to the Pharisees, the sad, or to the scribes and Pharisees who are the kind of the religious teachers, the religious elite. And he says, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anybody swears or makes an oath by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears or makes an oath by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. Who dwells in it? God. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So so Jesus really ups the ante here, doesn't he? And this really echoes the words in Matthew 5 about making oaths that Jonas read for us early. So don't make an oath by heaven, which which is God's throne, or by earth, which is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, which is the city of the great king, or by your head, because you can't even change the color of one of your hairs. 
So this scheme that the, that the Pharisees and these, these religious teachers had come up with was, was that they could make an oath based on the temple, perhaps, and their oath wouldn't be binding. In other words, it's like, do you ever promise, you do this when you're a kid probably, you promise something and then you cross your fingers and put them behind your back? Right, okay, that nixes out the promise, right? Isn't that how that works? Okay, you, 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 uh, you, you undercut it right then, but the whole point is to deceive, and that's pretty much what they were doing. Say, I can swear by the temple, but it really doesn't mean anything if I do that. And so their oaths were purposely deceptive. So Jesus wasn't saying, hey, make sure that you, you, you make your oaths on the right things, and here's all the right things to do. He wasn't giving us more rules. What he was doing was confronting purposeful deception, he was confronting people that were, that were purposely trying to deceive and manipulate and control other people. And so in line with the rest of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the issue isn't oaths per se. The issue is hard hearts. He's always aiming at our heart. It's always a heart issue for Jesus. So we may say something like, I swear to God, or I, I swear on a stack of holy Bibles, but why do we need to say such things? Well, usually we say them because we have a vested interest in convincing the other person to believe us, or convincing the other person to take a certain course of action. We are trying to manipulate and control their response with our words rather than influencing them with our character. And in the process, what we end up doing is missing an actual person that's standing in front of us. They become a tool that we manipulate rather than a dignified image bearer of God who deserves the truth from us. So to make oaths using God or anything else to, to back up our words is really a way of using words to manipulate and control people. It's an extremely selfish use of words. But if we know Jesus, we know that the way of King Jesus is not a selfish way. And we also know that talk isn't cheap in the kingdom of God. God's whole, God holds truth to be of high value because truth is his very nature. And if we are people of the word, then we will be people of our word. We will be people of the truth who live in integrity. We will live in integrity with regards to our words because God is a God of integrity and truth. When God speaks, his actions always line up with his word because his character is one of complete integrity. His actions always line up with his words. He is a faithful God who always does what he says he will do. In fact, his words and his actions are so connected. You look at Genesis chapter one and what happens when God speaks? The very thing he speaks takes place. That's how close they are together. Let there be light and there was what? Light, instantly. Isaiah 55, my word will, which I speak will not go forth from my mouth empty. It will not come back to me void. It will do the very thing for which I purposed it. God's words and his actions always align. That's what integrity is. And the kind of life of integrity that God desires for us to live is one where our words and our actions line up and they reflect the character and the goodness and the truthfulness of God. To live any other way, is what we would call hypocrisy. So in one sense, Jesus 
can simply be, sa- be taken as saying, be people of integrity. Be truth tellers. Don't use your words to manipulate and control. May your yes be yes and your no be no. And when you live that kind of life, your yes and no actually mean something. Now behind a desire to control and manipulate is what I would uh, call the downfall of humanity, which is pride. And pride is something that warps our hearts so that we think so highly of ourselves that we will do anything to get what we want. Okay, pride is thinking so highly of ourselves that we will do anything to get what we want. So Jesus' little brother, James, wrote the book of James, and some of his words actually echo Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says, James 5, 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So just as Jesus said, James repeats, to say anything more than yes or no comes from the evil one. It comes straight from the devil. Well, why is that? Because, he says, we cannot, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, we cannot make one of our hairs white, we cannot make one of our hairs black. And if that's how powerless we truly are, If we're not the ones who decide if we're going to be bald or if we're going to have a luscious mane of locks like Jonas. Luscious. They are luscious. Then what kind of... Sorry. If we're not the ones who decide whether we get this or that, then how in the world can we... Can we think we have the power to hold God to account for our truthfulness? Who am I to require God to back me up? Who who am I to make God my co-signer? I can't and I I shouldn't. So James says this in James chapter 4. He says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't even know what tomorrow, what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life for you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes, a mist. You can't even grab onto it. You can see through it. You're nothing. Instead, what you ought to say, instead of, hey, here's all the things I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So when we invoke God's name in an oath and and we say something like, I swear to God, I will do such and such next week and I promise that I'll be there for that thing. You're essentially saying, I am in control of what happens tomorrow. I have power over the future. Not only that, but God will back me up on what I say is going to happen. And that kind of talk is the height of arrogance. In fact, it's the same kind of pride that tripped up our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden when the serpent came and convinced them that they could take control of all of their tomorrows, that they could be the gods and the, and the, the controllers of their own future. And so not only is this kind of talk the, the height of arrogance, but to, to fail to live up to it is to actually bring condemnation on your own head for not fulfilling your oaths before God. So Jesus gives us these words of warning in Matthew 12. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. 
For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And pride is a really, really dangerous place to live. And one of the ways that we show our pride is through boastful and arrogant words. But Jesus, what Jesus is calling us to is he's calling us to have a realistic view of ourselves, a realistic view of our place in the universe. We call this realistic view, we call it humility, which is the opposite of prideful arrogance. So, so what does humility look like in this case? Well, it looks like faith, it looks like, it looks like trust, it looks like simply yes or no. Not avoiding responsibility, but, but, but not taking on ourselves too much in an attempt to get our own way. So Jesus says, just say yes or no and leave it at that. Anything more than these two words is from the evil one. So humility means that we only take what we can control and everything else we leave in the hands of God. We don't take up anything more, nothing less, and we trust in God. So two things to take away this morning that I wanna give you. And the first is this, that kingdom citizens are truth tellers. Kingdom citizens are truth tellers. Kingdom, kingdom citizens, God's kingdom citizens, follow Jesus by using their words in a way that actually reflects a character that's been transformed from the heart. So they don't use their words to cover over a deceitful character. They don't use their, their words to try to bring about a hidden agenda, but their words actually line up with who they are and what they do. They're people of integrity. A friend of mine, I love the way he used to put it, be, be a person who says what you mean and means what you say. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Their words are not manipulative, not controlling, not questionable. Jesus wants us to be people who don't have to appeal or swear to something higher than ourselves to be believable, but we live in such a way that our word is trusted because we are trustworthy. But in the end, it's really not about us at all. It's not really about our trustworthiness at all, is it? It's really that we are trusted because we trust in the one who is trustworthy. And it's in him and to him that we look. And when our lives line up with his in integrity, we reflect him and we bring him glory. And that really brings me to the, to the last point here, that kingdom citizens are humble. We follow Jesus with our words in order to serve and build others up and not build our, ourselves up to tear others down. Like Jesus, we trust in our heavenly Father in everything as we live as his, as his humble servants. So as people of the word, my appeal today from the word would be that we use our words in a way that honors the word himself, our King Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we come today and um, oaths and vows, it's one of those kind of confusing passages and we wonder why you even bring it up and, and part of that is because, Lord, I would confess that we don't take our words seriously. We treat them lightly and we throw them around and we uh, use them as arrows and darts often and we use them as levers to try to manipulate and move things around to where we want them and in places that are comfortable and convenient and serving us. God, we confess this morning that we use our, our words in selfish, destructive ways, and we ask for your forgiveness. 
And we ask for you to do a work of transformation in our heart, God, a, a work that bubbles up from our heart through our words and, and, and to where we would be people who bless, where we would be people who love with our words, where we'd be people of integrity and trustworthiness, whose word is yes and no. And God, may our lives bring honor and glory to you as they reflect, Father, your son, Jesus. Father, we love you. Pray that you would take these words and use them to good effect in our hearts and in our minds and for the glory of, your, of you and of your kingdom. It's in your name we pray, amen.